0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. From Genesis to the Gospels, we see the promise of God's greatest intervention in human affairs, and we call that Christmas. And finally fulfilled... For 2,000 years ago, God tore the night apart and ripped the silent skies in half. His glory broke through the dark and our worlds collided. Divinity and man confined. A child was born. Emmanuel, God with us. God showed up that night wrapped in swaddling clothes. Bold faith believes in a God who shows up. But does God still intervene in our world today? And if so, how does he intervene and why? Do we honestly believe that he will show up? Or for that matter, do we want him to show up in our world at all? Or do we so often want him on our terms and our timing and safe ways and to our advantage? I believe in a God who shows up in our brokenness like he did with Adam and Eve. A God who shows up And intervenes in our restlessness, as he did with Abraham and Sarah. I believe that God shows up in our barrenness, like he did with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I believe that God shows up in our faithfulness, like he did with Joseph and Mary. God is transcendent. He is divine. He is above mere human reasoning. And our creator God has intervened on many occasions that we witness through the scriptures. And he still intervenes in the affairs of humanity today. The God who created you in his image and who breathed this breath of life into you, he cares about you and he intends that you fulfill your destiny. So I have a question for you. Where are you praying for God to intervene in your life? And what is your restlessness? Good morning. My name is Dave Longstreth. I'm the outreach pastor here at Riverside. And if you're wanting to follow along in the notes today, I want to invite you to take out your Riverside app. And on that app, we have a tab that's called Live. And you can go there and you can check out our notes. We're continuing this morning in our Advent series. It's titled Divine Intervention. And if you're on Facebook or Twitter, we're using the hashtag Divine Intervention I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis 18. So I alluded in my opening monologue there a little bit that God shows up in our brokenness. We talked about that last week with Adam and Eve. That was Genesis chapter three. Today, we are talking about God who intervenes in our restlessness. And we're gonna be looking at Genesis 18, the story of Abraham and Sarah. Next week, we'll talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter one. And then Christmas week, we'll look at Joseph and Mary. But I believe in divine intervention. I believe that God does show up. The definition of divine intervention, it's a term for a miracle that's caused by a deity's active involvement in the human world. But if you also look online for a definition, you might run across this definition. Divine intervention is a 1991 song on Matthew Sweet's album titled Girlfriend, which I thought was hilarious. Guy makes an album called Girlfriend and one of his tracks is Divine Intervention. See, does anybody see that? But it's probably safe to say that most of us here sitting today, we, we believe in divine intervention at some level. So I want to kind of give you an illustration here. It's a sliding scale, okay? On one side of this sliding scale... This is God is actively involved in every part of our lives, including who we marry, what job we have, what we name our pets, um, providing us good parking spaces, enough money to have several automobiles, fancy clothes, and a dining out budget. The other end of that sliding scale is God intervenes by our birth and our death, and that's it. So there's your sliding scale. So what I want to ask you today, right now, as you're sitting here in this moment, where does your definition of divine intervention fall on that sliding scale? Right or wrong, mine's somewhere in the middle. And if you ask me at any given time, it moves a little bit, but that's, that's kind of where mine is. I don't believe he gives me parking spaces. Sometimes I pray for them, but I don't believe he gives me parking spaces, but I do believe he's involved in more than my birth and my death. What about God moments? Some call them divine coincidences. It's those times when you know that God orchestrated that you would be in the right place at the right time for the God-ordained moment, for a God-ordained purpose. Are these coincidences or are they God-incidences? And I'm sure we feel, you know, there's differing opinions around this room here this morning. I've also heard them called God-winks. Those times when God winks at you just to remind you that he's there with you. So today we're going to look at a time when a couple, Abraham and Sarah, they'd pretty much given up all hope. They actually entertained angels and they weren't even aware of it. God intervened in the most unusual way and brought them laughter. So I ask you this question again as we get started. What are you praying for God to intervene in your life? And what is your restlessness? Keep that in mind as we go throughout this. Now has anybody seen the commercial aimed at people with restless leg syndrome? You know what Restless Leg Syndrome is? It's when your leg is restless, and it's a syndrome. That's from Dave Pedia. The commercial is for Requip. Requip is a drug that treats RLS, which is Restless Leg Syndrome. Now, that's enough to get some laughs in and of itself, just the name, Restless Leg Syndrome. But that's not the only thing that's funny to me, because symptoms of Restless Leg Syndrome include, get this, the urge to move. So if anybody here today has the urge to move, you might need Requip. (laughs) In all seriousness, RLS is a real syndrome, but less than 3% of the population has it. But I'll tell you what, these commercials, okay, they make the symptoms so vague that it seems like anybody could have this, right? Um, It makes paranoid people Uh, and even, and even if they, uh, feel perfectly fine, they see these vague symptoms and and say, oh, I have that. And I have to admit to you shamefully, as I do so often when I speak, I shame myself. There was a season in my life where I thought I had restless leg syndrome, uh, because I can't sit still. And I honestly thought it. And you know, if anybody was friends with me, uh, I see some people laughing back there because they remember those times when I said, I think I have restless leg syndrome. And they're just like, Dave, Dave, Dave. But I stand here before you today saying, I think there is a disorder that I might really have. And I think this disorder isn't just mine. I think a lot of you have it too. And that is called restless mind syndrome, RMS. It's not real. But the symptoms for RMS include the urge to think, burning sensation in the brain, tingling brain, random thoughts, aching mind, cramping in the brain, Painful thinking. If your mind wanders and twitches from one topic to another, buzzing and gurgling with things that do people to see, whispers of possibilities for the future and images of the past, you too may have restless mind syndrome. Anybody here today feel like they have restless mind syndrome? Be proud and admit it. Come on. (laughs) The rest of you are liars. You have lying syndrome. (laughs) Uh, Or maybe it's just our human nature, right? The Christmas season here is upon us with all of its hustle and its bustle. And before we know it, we're going to flip the calendar over to 2017 already. Every year goes faster and faster. And then we're going to be locked in the drudgery of what I think are the two longest months of the year. And that's January and February. You know, I was just listening to a song last night. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And it is right now. But January and February, it's the worst time of the year. Because I get stir-crazy. I get, like, major cabin fever. And by the time spring rolls around, my restlessness has hit its limit. And I'm eager to get back outside, start mowing the lawn again, and putting the suntan lotion on, and, and going to the swimming pool, and eating burgers and hot dogs and potato salad. Getting excited. But this isn't the kind of restlessness that God intervenes with. I mean, I don't think he's going to stop traffic so that we can get our pool memberships or our beach umbrellas, is he? And while we face these kinds of restlessness throughout our lives, there is this deeper restlessness, these deeper restless syndrome that we succumb to. Finding a spouse, establishing a career or changing careers, attaining financial freedom, purchasing a home, having kids... Or preparing for retirement. So let's set the stage here this morning for a restless couple that we find in Genesis chapter 18, and that is Abraham and Sarah. Verse 1 and 2 says this The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them, and he welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. Now, Abraham is an old man here, 99 years old, resting in his hammock. He's at the entrance of his tent that was pitched in the shade of some trees. And these three strangers, they show up, and Abraham jumps up to greet them and extend the kind of hospitality to travelers that was customary to that culture. Now, let me give you a little backstory here on Abraham. He was a wealthy man by this time. He invested very wisely into land into agriculture and livestock, His family consisted of his young, 90-year-old wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and a whole bunch of servants and laborers uh, to work the land and the animals. Oh, and he had a son, and his son was named Ishmael, and his son was to his wife's servant, Hagar, and that wasn't necessarily God's plan, and I'll tell you, it caused no small rift in their marriage, and I'll fill you in on that in in a moment. So when Abraham was a mere 75 years old, God showed up and called him to leave his homeland in Babylon to travel to a land in the east where God promised to bless him to be the father of a great nation and that his innumerable descendants would be a blessing to all nations. That's Genesis chapter 12. Ten years later at Age 85, still having no children with his wife, Sarah, God promised again that they would have an heir and the forefather of a mighty nation. That's Genesis 15. But they took things into their own hands for their lack of faith, their lack of patience and understanding in God's plan. And so Sarah, she offered her servant, Hagar, to bear her husband's child rather than to wait and trust for God to do the impossible. And Abraham and Hagar... Named the son Ishmael. That's Genesis 16. So now here we are, Genesis 18, age 99. Hope seems like it's all gone. This nation that God had promised Abraham through Sarah wasn't going to happen, or so it seemed to them. And in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that was their story. Everyone has a story though, right? Right? And like Abraham and Sarah there are many hopeful couples today that suffer the heartache of childlessness. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you have a different story. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and there's something that causes an ache in your heart. What is that? What's your story? What's what's causing that ache in your heart? Where is the restlessness that you find in your soul? Or when has your life taken an unexpected or difficult turn? And if you're sitting here today and you feel like God has forgotten about you, you're not alone. Because that's exactly the kind of restlessness that Abraham and Sarah were feeling. But life goes on, doesn't it? And you do what you have to do, even though there's this shadow kind of hanging over you. And Abraham's story included heartache, it included restlessness, yet he refused to be bitter and he refused to focus on his disappointment. He prospered in the midst of his pain. He looked out for his nephew's well-being and he welcomed these strangers as was customary for you can never know someone else's story. The point of all that is this. Everybody has a story of restlessness. Everyone does. Look around you. Everyone has a story. You can't see the shadow, but it's there. God sees the shadows in your life. God knows your story. God cares about your story. God wants to to use your story. With his story hidden beneath his welcoming smile, Abraham steps up to serve these unexpected guests. Let's read on in Genesis 18. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour knead it in dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd, chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. And as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. And what Abraham does here is he models near Eastern hospitality and it's at its finest. Abraham had no idea who these three strangers were, but he gives prompt attention to their needs. He bowed low to the ground, signifying respect and honor. He addressed them as my Lord. He addressed himself as your servant. He acted as if it would be an honor for him to serve them. It would be a favor for him to show them favor. He asked for water for them to wash their feet. He prepared a lavish meal for them. And he stood by as they ate and he waited on their every need. Hebrews 13 2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And that's what he did here. He entertained angels without knowing it. But I have to pause before we go on and just note the parallels to Jesus here. And let me point those out for you. Jesus bowed low for you and for me when he descended from heaven. Jesus took on the form of a servant. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, "Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest." Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus said, "I am going to prepare a place for you." In John fourteen, he also said that he is standing at the door and he is knocking for anybody who would invite him in to come and dine with him. Revelations three. Jesus stands to meet your greatest needs. He said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This morning at towards the end of our service, we're gonna have an opportunity to partake in communion together. We're going to honor that greatest sacrifice that Jesus made. Jesus modeled the kind of hospitality that he expects from his followers. He also said that whoever shows hospitalities by inviting a stranger in or feeding the hungry or giving drink to the thirsty or clothing the naked or caring for the sick and visiting the prisoners, these people are in reality showing hospitality to Jesus himself. And these are the people who will inherit God's kingdom. The point is this, when you open the door of hospitality to others, The door of God's blessing opens for you. And this is an interesting thought. In the midst of his own restlessness, Abraham offers rest to strangers. God blesses those who are a blessing to others. And this is where the upside down thing happens we see so often in Scripture. And listen, listen to this statement those who wait to be blessed in order to be a blessing we'll be waiting for a very long time. If you're sitting here today and you are waiting, I'm going to wait until God blesses me so that I can be generous. I'm going to wait till God blesses me so I can bless others. You're going to be waiting for a long time. And I hate to put it so bluntly, but it's the truth. Because you are blessed when you're a blessing. And while you're waiting for your prayers to be answered, and we have prayers, right? All of us have these prayers that we take through life every day. God, this is what I want right now. This is what I need right now. Maybe it doesn't sound so selfish, but the bottom line is that this is what we're praying for. And while you're praying your prayers to be answered, ask this question. How can you be the answer to someone else's prayers? And that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. They were waiting to be blessed, but they weren't waiting to bless others. We pick up in the story, Genesis 18, verses 9 through 15. The visitors are are saying now to to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's inside the tent. And then one of them said, I'm going to return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent And Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time. Sarah was long past the age of having children. And she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? And then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And my favorite part of this whole chapter is right here. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, said, and I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> Whew. That's some good writing there. <laughs> you know, Sarah wasn't the first to laugh at the thought of this. If you look back to chapter 17, verse 17, God showed up to Abraham. Sarah wasn't with him at this time. And God told Abraham that Sarah would bear a son in her old age. So Abraham, you know, fell face down before God, but he laughed to himself as he was doing it, saying, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at age 90? As he's bowing down to God. I just, these visual pictures. Sarah had reason to weep. She was 90 years old. Like the Bible says, long past the age of having children. She likely had a bowed back. She probably had a few teeth left. Digestive problems. Okay? And when God shows up and promises her and her husband that they're going to have a number of children that's greater than the number of stars in the sky and that all the earth will be blessed through them with families, families, families. 99-year-old Abraham probably let out a toothless cackle. And Sarah overheard it, and she too had a good laugh, right? And when God heard Sarah laugh, he asked this fantastic, fantastic question to her. He said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? So God told them to name their child Isaac. Why did he tell them to name their child Isaac? Because Isaac means laughter. And I love that. You're going to name your child laughter. And you know why? Why? Because he wanted to remind them. Every time they looked at Isaac, the joke is on them. <laughs> <laughs> so did Isaac, uh, did Isaac come along? Jump a few chapters ahead real quick here. Genesis chapter 21. It says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham at his old age. This happened at just the time that God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac Isaac. Isaac, or Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said that to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. That's Genesis 21, 1 through 3 and 5 through 7. The point is this. God wants to restore joy and laughter back into your life. He wants to give joy and laughter back to you. I imagine that one day when we wake up and we're in heaven and we realize all that God has done for us and all that he has in store for us throughout eternity, we're going to break out into laughter of disbelief and joy. Now let me jump back in the story. So after this whole conversation happens as they're sitting there and having this meal together, the uh, the three guests, they stand up, the three visitors stand up and they walk away and Abraham goes with them. And it's at this time where the one guest who we later learn that, that this is the Lord, this is God, he talks to the other two angels and he says, I think we're going to let Abraham on a little, in on a little secret here. And, the, and then the, the other two angels, they kind of go ahead and it's just God and Abraham walking together. And then God says to Abraham, look, I, um, I've heard about the atrocities that are happening in Sodom Gomorrah and I have come to check it out for myself. And if it's as bad as, it said, as, as I've heard, I'm going to wipe them out. So now Abraham starts this conversation where he's pleading for the righteous lives of those who live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now his nephew Lot was one of those people and his family that lived in Sodom. So Abraham starts a negotiation process with God. And he says, okay, if there are 50 righteous people living there, if you find 50 righteous, surely you won't destroy the place You'll destroy the wicked and the righteous. That's just not fair. And God says, okay, if I find 50 righteous, I will spare the cities. And then Abraham says, well, what about 45? And then they back and forth. And what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? And they land at 10. And God says, if I find even 10 righteous, I will spare the cities. And then when the Lord has finished this conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. Now let's back up a little bit. And let's just look at what happened in divine intervention in Abraham's life. God showed up several times throughout Abraham and Sarah's lives. He showed up several times to intervene. And he showed up to call them to move to a new land. He showed up to promise them a child who would be born. And then to showed up again. And then he said, don't give up on believing and waiting for this promise. Even after they took matters into their own hands. And then God shows up again to give Abraham a chance to plea for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he does that. Abraham was a great man of faith. And yeah, his faith gave way temporarily. But by faith, Abraham, he has to play this part in something that he can't understand. It's bigger than he even knows. And it's so big that Jesus ends up being the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. Because Jesus, we trace him back. Trace him back to, to Abraham. Abraham. And Abraham didn't see that. He didn't understand the magnitude of this promise of God's. And God, he shows up when his plan seems too hard to understand or too hard to accomplish, when it's too big for us to grasp. The point is this. God shows up when he wants to do something in and through you. If God shows up and he divinely intervenes in your life, He probably wants to do something in you, and he probably wants to do something through you, even if you don't understand what that is. But let me give you a warning from the story of Abraham's two sons. Don't take matters into your own hands when God's way doesn't seem possible, or when we get impatient, or when we lose faith, the faith that we once had. For even if we end up at the right destination, but we've taken the wrong direction, we will face the painful consequences of our restlessness gone awry. Any Lord of the Ring nerds out there like me? Lord of the Rings. Well, if you are, then you're going to be familiar with the beginning of the first movie or the first book, okay? So we got the wizard Gandalf here and he rolls into town, but he comes way later than the Hobbit Frodo had expected and Frodo says to Gandalf, "You're late." And Gandalf replies and I love this. Gandalf replies, "No, Frodo. A wizard is never late. He always arrives precisely when he means to." And then he laughed. And you can use that if you're ever late. I'm not late. I arrive precisely when I mean to. That's a freebie for you today. Get out of jail free card. How many times, though, have we said that to God God, you're late? And God would say, Nope, because I arrive precisely when I mean to. Who are we to know? <laughs> Who are we to know these things? Right? Now Ishmael, remember he was the son to Abraham and Hagar. Ishmael is the impatient result of taking matters into our own hands. He is the result of the lack of faith that Abraham and Sarah had in God to do what he said he would do. Ishmael is the result of seeing a solution through natural means, through logical means, through wisdom and calculation Abraham was promised a son. Sarah was unable to bear children, so she gave him a son through her servant, Hagar. Okay? Now, Isaac, he's the result of being patient and allowing God to maintain control of their lives. Isaac is the result of the faith that Abraham and Sarah finally had for God to make good on his promise to them. Isaac's the result of seeing a solution through supernatural means, illogical, foolish, and impossible. Abraham was promised a son. Sarah was unable to bear children. God's plan caused them to laugh and to doubt even, but they persevered, and guess what? Sarah gave him a son. Now, in my dry and barren seasons, anybody else have a dry and barren season? I've often said that it feels like God has hit the mute button. For his seeming lack of communication to me and my family. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, Dave, you're a pastor at the church, you're texting God every day, and he's texting you back, that don't work like that. I mean, sometimes it's weeks, months, even years. It's hard to hear sometimes from God, and it seems like he's hit that mute button and forgot that he put me on mute And I equate that silence to a slow death, but oh, the life that comes and floods our souls when he shows up again and speaks. And the longer you go without hearing from him and the longer that dry season is, when he shows up, it floods us with new life. Has anybody felt that before in your life? Maybe today you're in a season of drought or a season of doubt and it's been so silent that you feel like God has hit the mute button and he hasn't been around to help you out in your restlessness. God would say to you and he would say to me today, be patient, continue to pray, continue to believe, do the right thing and care about others because God shows up precisely when he means to. And God's answer to our problem it's often the solution that's been there all along. But we haven't seen it because of our anxiety, our fear, our pain. For example, in this story here that we've been going through, sometime after Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah demanded that Hagar and their son Ishmael leave because Sarah did not want her son to share the inheritance with Hagar's son. And God confirmed this to Abraham. Go ahead and do this, Abraham. Send them. So we pick up in the story in Genesis 21, Verse 14. Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water and strapped them to Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, What's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. And then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. And she quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. Now, I love here that the fact that Hagar saw the well that had been there all along, only it was her fears and it was her tears that kept her from seeing it. The cries of those who belong to God are going to reach him, but the answers don't have to be spectacular. They don't have to be miraculous as we sometimes expect or demand. Many times the answers to our prayers is going to be that which in time is just obvious. And as you think about that, I want to invite the worship team to come back up. As they're coming, I want to invite the ushers to go prepare for communion because in a few moments, like I said earlier, we're going to look at that ultimate fulfillment Through Jesus Christ, that ultimate divine intervention. Because in the scriptures, from the book of Genesis, clear at the beginning, clear through to the Gospels, which is in the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we read through those scriptures, we see the promise of God's greatest intervention in human affairs. Christmas, a child is born. And finally fulfilled. For 2,000 years ago, God tore the night apart and ripped the silent skies in half. His glory broke through the dark and our worlds collided. Divinity and man confined. A child was born. Emmanuel. God with us. God showed up that night wrapped in swaddling clothes. And our silence, heaven whispered out. And our darkness, glory pierced the night. We were broken, but now we're lifted up. The King of heaven, God is here with us. 2,000 years ago, today, and forever, God will keep showing up until one day when we are with him for eternity. And until then, I beg keep a watchful eye because you never know the day or the hour that God is going to show up in your life. Always be ready. Always be eager for his arrival. Always be seeking for him to come. Because bold faith believes in a God who shows up. Bold faith believes in a God who shows up. Would you say that with me this morning? Bold faith believes in a God who shows up. Think about your restlessness and say that again. Bold faith believes in a God who shows up. And where we need him most, let's say it one more time. Bold faith believes in a God who shows up. God who shows up in our brokenness, a God who shows up in our barrenness, a God who shows up in our faithfulness, a God who shows up in our restlessness. And my final question to you this morning is the same question that I asked you earlier. My first question, it was this. Where are you praying for God to intervene in your life? And what is the restlessness that you are waiting for him to come and lead you through? This morning I had the opportunity to meet with somebody after service who said, I'm seeking God and this is my first time to come to Riverside. And I heard this message today and wow, I want to respond to that. And at the end of service, last service, I said what I'm going to just say right now. That first and foremost, God intervened divinely by sending his son, Jesus Christ, as I just talked about 2,000 years ago, and the child, Jesus, who grew up to be a man, who grew up to serve us and lead by example how we should live our lives. And then at, as a man, he died on a cross and he didn't stay in the grave three days later he was resurrected because he is the son of God and his name is Jesus Christ. He showed up to give us life forevermore. And if you're here this morning and you've never invited him to come and be the Lord of your life, you've never invited Jesus Christ to come in and lead you, you have the opportunity to do that this morning because he did this just for you. He didn't do it for all of us. He did it for all of us individually. God created you. He created me. Every one of us were individuals and he knows us. And he sent his son to die for every one of us. I don't want you to sit here today and miss the greatest divine intervention in the history of all creation. God sent his son to redeem us. If you're here this morning, I want to pray with you that you would give your life over to Christ, that you would take your hands off of the steering wheel of life that you have control of and you would say, God, no longer do I want to control my life. I invite you to come in and intervene continually in my life. Many of us are sitting here today and we've crossed that line of faith maybe a long time ago. But we have those seasons, don't we? God shows up in our brokenness God shows up in our barrenness. God shows up in our faithfulness. And God shows up in our restlessness. Let us pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that When the first sin happened back in the garden we talked about last week with Adam and Eve that you didn't just give up then. That you didn't just say, that's it. Humanity's done. You blew it. You had your chance. You messed up. But no, God, your ultimate plan of your ultimate divine intervention was 2,000 years ago when you broke through the silence and a child was born Emmanuel God with us this child this innocent child grew up to be an innocent man who gave his life for us he's your son he is Jesus he is our redeemer and for anyone sitting here today God that hasn't invited, personally invited Jesus into their life to be the Lord and leader of their life God, we do that now. Please forgive us, all of us, for we are sinful. Forgive all of us when we control our own lives instead of handing our lives over to you, our creator, the one who gives us purpose. May your purposes be fulfilled in our lives. Oh, great creator God. Who of us here today could uh, understand you in your fullness and your glory? Who of us here today could grasp the meaning of what you do and why you do what you do, or even speculate how you're going to show up in our lives? But here we are, your children, your creation. We're believing by faith that not only do you hear our prayers, but that you're also going to intervene in our lives. At some level, at certain times, especially in our more pressing situations, whether it's our daily interactions, our plans, our pursuits, our seasons of brokenness or barrenness, or even our seasons of restlessness. And for those of us here today that feel like maybe you accidentally hit the mute button in our relationship with you, God, we humbly ask this, please speak. Please speak, God. Please speak, God, because your servants here are listening. And we ask that your will be done in our lives as it exists in heaven. And that our story would be for your glory. It's in the name of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org